I'm Dwayne Arledge, Associate Pastor here. It's my privilege to be sharing this weekend. Uh, I, I have a question I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you to respond, so, you know, another shot of coffee, wake up a little bit. How many of you, and show by raising your hands, how many of you love to be around negative people? See your hands. The lights. If you're in the theater or the family room, uh, I'll be there in a minute. I'm still counting. If you're online, it'll take me a little longer. That would be zero, right? Everybody in here was honest. On Saturday evening service, somebody raised their hand. They were lying. Nobody likes being around negative people. Guess what? When we're the negative person ourselves, we don't even like being around ourselves when we're filled with negativity and frustration and anger or hatred, do we? We don't even enjoy it when it's us. And when negative people get around us, maybe it's only one, maybe it's several, but it's easy to get overwhelmed when we're around negative people. Last week, Pastor Charlie, in this Overwhelmed series, preached a sermon entitled, When God Shows Up. This week, the sermon is, When Negative People Show Up. We've been following the life of an Old Testament guy named Job, a real person, and he was surrounded by negative people. Now, that's not all that was going on in his life, by the way. He had this trifecta of bad things going on. He lost all of his wealth, all of his family. Then, in addition to that, he was suffering. Satan was allowed to afflict him with sores, boils all over his body from top of his head to the bottom of his feet. That was the second thing. And if that were not bad enough, like pouring salt in wounds... His friends who had showed up initially to support him turned negative on him. And guess what? And his wife too. So his wife and three friends, actually toward the end of the book of Job, a fourth friend shows up and decides to jump on the negativity wagon. And so this, this sermon, we're going to look at the negative people, but hopefully we're going to learn from the negative people, and, and how Job responded to them as well, and what God said about Job's response. So let's look at these negative people first, all right? First, his wife. Uh, if you want to follow, you can follow several ways. You can follow on the screens. You can open up a hard copy Bible. You can open up an e-copy on your devices, or you can use your smartphone. Go to Version, and our whole sermon outline is there, and life group question notes, all that you need for this week's uh, sermon stuff there, however you choose to follow. The Scripture begins in Job chapter 2. We're going to jump back and forth in the book of Job quite a bit today and some other New Testament passages. But Job chapter 2, verse 6. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan. You see, there had been this dialogue. Satan came back and said, hey, I took away his family. I took away all of his money, all of his wealth. And he still didn't deny you or curse you. I think you're protecting him too much. So that's when the Lord said, do to him as you please. But spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Job, he was hurting so much, he scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. Look at verse 10. Job replies, 
you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Here's a critical point. So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Let me add a phrase about God or the situation God had allowed to happen. Now let's look at his friends. Let's blaze through them. Now they started out good. They came and sat with him for a week, but they just couldn't help their negativity, and it came through. Eliphaz, and I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm just going to tell you some of the things, kinds of things they said. He says, hey, Job, only those who are really evil suffer the way you're suffering. In other words, if you were good, you wouldn't be suffering like this. Then, then, get this. He says, God told me in a special vision that you're not innocent. I love it when people, I'm being sarcastic here. I love it when people say, well, God told me. And we're all supposed to go, God spoke? Please tell me what it is so I can change the entire direction of my life because you say God spoke to you. And then they follow it with some crazy thing, like his friend uh, uh, Eliphaz did. They follow it with some crazy thing that doesn't even line up with the Bible. If there's anything in the world you can guarantee, it's when somebody says, God spoke to me, God said to me, and then they say something that doesn't agree with the Bible, you can mark it down. God didn't say that. Guaranteed. God is not a liar, so he doesn't want to say one thing in the Bible and another thing later. He doesn't change those truths. So, anyway, Eliphaz played the God card, and Job said this, okay, there's some really negative things happening in my life. Do I not get to speak the truth about those and say, hey, these are not good. These are no fun. I don't like this. Then he said, by the way, Eliphaz, in chapter 6, he says to him, I have not for one second, one minute, denied God. His friend Bildad says this, well, Job, maybe you didn't sin, but surely your children, your family must have sinned really, really greatly or this wouldn't be happening. Job said this, I know nobody can be completely innocent, especially when we're compared to God's holiness. So he was saying to his friend, I'm not trying to tell you I'm perfect. I'm trying to tell you about God, how good God is. Zophar, his third friend, says, well, you're just mocking God, and I can't stand around for any of this blasphemy. In other words, I don't want to get struck by lightning, so I'm not staying around here. And then then the, the top of the heap here is, hey, Job, by the way, God is punishing you far less than you really deserve. Job had had all he could take. He got really sarcastic then. He says, well, Zophar? You know everything, don't you? When you die, what are the rest of us going to do? Because all the wisdom will have left the earth when you die. It'll go with you. And we're not going to know what to do. I thought, ooh, I'm going to keep that one. I'm going to use that on somebody someday. Well, you'll hear why I shouldn't as as the sermon goes on, okay? But then Job said, when I called on God previously, all the earlier part of my life, God has answered, I'm going to trust God because he'll answer this time too. Now, all of those friends, including Job's wife, they started out pretty good. But their negativity, their wrong view of God crept through. 
Why were they negative? I'm asking you that. You don't get a chance to answer. I'm just asking you that so I can tell you why I think they were negative. I believe they didn't understand God or the grace of God at all. You, you read through, I challenge you to find in there where they talk about God's grace. They talk about, well, you do this, and well, God will do that. And it's kind of this little deal between you and God. If you do good, he'll do good. If you do bad, he's going to do bad. If you do worse, he's going to do even more. So they didn't understand God's grace. So here's what I believe. I believe they didn't understand the kingdom of God. Now, that's more of a New Testament concept. But it's, it's all that God has been about for eternity, His kingdom. And so they were not operating in the kingdom of God. They were operating in the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness. They had a formula for how God had to act. And they were unwilling to change that formula no matter what God did that was outside of what they thought He ought to do. So to better understand this, we're going to build a foundation here, okay? If you're one of those people that's excited about all those blanks, you go, oh, my goodness, there are a whole lot more blanks this weekend we've got to fill in. Is he ever going to get to them? Yes. But if we fill in all of those blanks, that's like the, super, the structure. If we do a poor foundation, that's going to collapse. We're going to spend several minutes building a solid, strong foundation biblically, and then we're going to find out what we should not do when negative people show up, what we should do, and what the results ought to be. So, in, in, in the New Testament kingdom of God idea, see, the Jews thought Jesus, or the Messiah, they didn't think it was Jesus at all. Let me correct that. They believed, according to Scripture, the Messiah was going to come. They were correct there. And they believed he was going to kick the Romans out, and he was going to take over the earthly kingdom, and he was going to rule in Jerusalem. Wrong. Read through the Old Testament. That's not what it teaches. They missed it. Because Jesus said over and over, my kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God is not of this world. So let's establish what the kingdom of God really is. Bible scholars, theologians for centuries have defined the kingdom of God very simply this way. The kingdom of God is the rule of God, the lordship of God in the hearts of believers, those who will Allow him to rule in their hearts. Only those who have been born of the Spirit of God are in the kingdom of God and can experience the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness, we often think, well, that must be from the pit of hell. Well, it is. But not everything about the kingdom of this world is this terrible, nasty darkness. You see, sometimes we're thinking, acting in the kingdom of God, and we decide we're listening to some negative person or some person who's off base, or we're just thinking our own thoughts instead of aligning them with God's Word, and we just step over here. Now, we just cross the line. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, uh-oh, you're not going to go to heaven. That's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about our thinking and our actions. So we base our thinking and our actions on this thought over here that's not in God's Word, that's not truth, and it seems like it's so close, it must be right. But we don't check it with Scripture, we just listen to some negative person. But you see, in stepping over here, that person has helped us, even though we're still close there, to turn this way. 
three or four steps more and we're further away. Three or four days more and we're even further away. Three or four weeks more, three or four years, three or four decades more, we can be so far from the kingdom of God in our thinking, in our doing, that we're really confused, completely confused. So, let's look at what Scripture has to say. However you find the Scripture, uh, follow it with me, whether it's on the screens or whatever device you use, whatever notes you take. Beginning in Matthew, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of God, His Father, uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay? Matthew chapter 6, we'll begin at verse 31. Jesus said, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? How am I going to pay my bills? What am I going to do for a job? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. Here's the focus verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. You see, the consuming desire of our lives should not be the things of the world. We're to be consumed with the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He promises to add everything else we need. By the way, His kingdom has to do with His righteousness. Did you see that? It has to do with His salvation. His righteousness and His salvation is our only hope. You see, I didn't come to God and say, hey, God, look how good I am. And he says, whew, let's see. Yep, the good outweighs the bad. You're in. You're, you're a believer. I'm going to give you eternal life. No, he said, you've been weighed and found wanting desperately, but you've repented of sin. You've believed on Jesus Christ. You've invited Jesus Christ, my son, into your life to rule your life. Come into my kingdom. I'm giving you eternal life. Eternal means how long? Forever. He gives us forever life. So we're in His kingdom forever, this life and the next life. So we're to be consumed with the kingdom of God, His righteousness, not the kingdom of this world, not the things of this world. And so it's His righteousness, His salvation, growing to be more like Him. That's what we're consumed with, He says. In Mark, He says something else about the kingdom of God, Mark 4.11. And Jesus said to them, to you has been given, the, he's speaking to his disciples, by the way, those close to him. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside the kingdom of God, everything is in parables. Parables are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. So, there are insiders and there are outsiders in the kingdom of God. Not everybody's in the kingdom of God. I just told you how he designed that we could get in the kingdom of God, repentance and belief on him as Lord and Savior. Luke chapter 18, he tells us more, beginning at verse 29. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or wife or brothers or parents or children. By the way, he's talking to those disciples who had left these things. And he's making them a promise. He says, you've left all those things for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Listen, Jesus clearly said this in that verse. If you'll be consumed with my kingdom, I'll be consumed with caring for you. In this life and into eternity, 
Listen, I want to be consumed with his kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. The Apostle Paul in, in the book of Romans, guided by the Holy Spirit of God, said this. Romans 14, beginning at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. Wait, let's, let's, let's catch up what the context is here, okay? He's just been talking to them because some of them had a question. They had seen people buying meat from the pagan temple. Pastor Charlie mentioned this a few weeks ago. And they were saying, whoa, that ribeye or that New York State uh, strip looks really good. And someone else said, oh, uh-uh-uh-uh, we can't eat that. That was, that was from a, a sacrifice, you know, in that pagan temple. And the other person's like, whew. It looks really good to me. And they've, they've had this dialogue. We'll not so, solve that how, how today, how we're to, you know, not, uh, we, can, we can do that, but we're also to consider how it affects the other person, blah, blah, blah. Well, after the Apostle Paul finishes all of that stuff, he says, by the way, the kingdom of God is about more than that, that meat, eating and drinking. Here's what it's about. Righteousness, peace. And joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Jesus Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. Verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In other words, building each other up, encouraging each other in the kingdom. Here's a beautiful picture. The kingdom of God is righteousness that God gives us. Peace that God gives us. Joy that His Holy Spirit who lives in us gives us. That's what I want in my life. And verse 19 says, if I pursue that and not the system of this world, the kingdom of this world, then I'm going to be doing God's will. By the way, kingdom of this world doesn't have real answers for the real problems of this life. Only partial answers. Only Jesus Christ has the real answers for us. God made us. He designed us. He knows us more and better than anyone, including ourselves, know ourselves. And so He has the only real answers. That's why at Fellowship of the Rockies, we're consumed with the kingdom of God. We do our very best to be preaching righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit instead of social agenda answers, political agenda answers, because those will never get us into the kingdom of God. Now, let's go back for a moment to Job's situation with negative people, okay? See, Job's wife and his friends were more consumed with the fact that Job lost his wealth than they were with whether he, or, and that he was sick, rather than it, that if he really was still trusting God and walking with God. They were unwilling to accept difficulty and suffering from God. They believed if Job had been good, God was obligated to only do and allow good things in his life. Now, and so they attempted to, to shift Job's thinking, his actions, all of that. The negative people tried to influence him away from kingdom of God thinking. Now, here's a scenario. It could happen any day currently. I disagree with someone's view or their behavior or their opinion. I know that doesn't happen in today's society, but I disagree with their social views. I disagree with their political views. That couldn't possibly happen in today's society. So I decide I'm going to cancel their views. I'm going to argue with them. I'm going to belittle them. I'm going to annihilate them because by doing so, kingdom of this world thinking, I'm going to correct them 
and I'm going to bring them over to my way of thinking. When I do that, I believe if I successfully destroy their crazy views, I bring them into the light. Where have I brought them? Into Dwayne's kingdom? I've done nothing for them. I've done little, if anything, except maybe change some behavior or a few thoughts until somebody else who's a louder, more persuasive voice comes along. The only problem is this. I most surely did not bring them into the kingdom of God. My dad used to say, good Missouri hillbilly saying, you need to be careful. If you straighten someone out, they're going to be as crooked as you are. And that's the problem with kingdom of this world thinking. We assume we're right. Therefore, everyone else should come to our way of thinking. Here's where we miss it. Does good behavior benefit society? Absolutely. But if I argue with someone and I convince them to change a certain behavior, I haven't changed their life. I've only changed a behavior or one thought. Does forcing a change in behavior change hearts? No, does not. We can all give examples of that. Only Jesus can change a heart. Only Jesus can change a life. Only Jesus can clean our souls of the sin. That's what brings people into the kingdom of God. That's what I want to be consumed with. Remember Jesus' last words to us were, make disciples. Disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring them into the kingdom of God. So, here's the question. If I give my, as I, as I look at any cause, if I'm trying to persuade people or I'm going to give time to a cause, the question I need to ask myself, several quick questions. If I give my life to this cause, will it help bring people into the kingdom of God? Will their hearts be changed forever? If the answer is no, I need a new cause. I need a different cause because I am a blood-bought, spirit-born child of God. I don't belong to me. I belong to the Lord. He gets to determine those things. But if I point people to the kingdom of God, then Jesus Christ moves into their hearts, and it becomes His job to change them, not mine. His Word, the Holy Spirit living in them, is what will give them truth, and truth will set them free. So at risk of being repetitive here, if I am only trying to change behaviors, I'm not working to bring in the kingdom of God. I'm working against the kingdom of God. I need to point them to Jesus, and He will bring them into the kingdom, and He'll do the changing that needs to be done. That's what Job's wife and his friends were doing. Okay, now we have a stronger foundation upon which we can build the structure. Run with me through this. What we should not do, four things we should not ever, ever, never, ever, ever do when we encounter negative people or when they surround us. First, think what they're telling you to think. You can't think the things Job's friends were telling, his wife was telling him. You know, God must hate you, all kinds of things. God's abandoned you. Uh, God's looking to punish you. God's not fair. Don't think what they tell you to think. Second, don't say what they're telling you to say. His wife said, just give up and die. I don't know for sure if she's saying die by your will or kill yourself. I'm not positive if she was saying that, but either one of those was wrong. God had different plans. 
So don't, don't think what they're telling you to think. Don't say what they're telling you to say. Don't do what they're telling you to do. Finally, don't be who they're telling you to be. Those are the four things we should not do. They were telling him, you need to be the guy who thinks it's all about you. That's the thinking in the world. Job, it's all about you. You've correct this. God's obligated to do this. It, it's about you. No, Job said it's about God. It's about him. He'll take care of me. So what should you do when people who are negative show up in your life besides weep uncontrollably, okay? First, be gracious. And I, if I could rephrase that kind of be grace-filled. Be continually allowing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to fill your thinking and words and actions so that you respond the way the Lord wants you to. Colossians 4, 6 tells us something about this. It says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. Let your, res- let your conversation be grace-filled so you'll have God's response for every person. We need to use that grace test before we speak and act. Now, the second thing we should do is think differently. Don't, don't allow them to tell us how to think. Don't, don't pick up their thinking. See, when negative people move in, our first thought is rarely what I'm about to tell you we should do. My first thought is rarely this. How can I help this person? How, how can I help bring in the kingdom of God? How can I help this person move into the kingdom of God? I'm usually thinking how I can just cancel them, how I can put them away from me, how I can get them out of my life. Romans 14, 17, we just read it earlier, but let's go back to it for a moment. It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. Am I consumed with the worldly viewpoint or am I consumed with righteousness that he gives, peace he gives, Joy that he gives. What am I consumed with? It's the third thing I should do is speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15 says it this way. Then when we, when we begin growing up, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. Negative, negative people. So clever they sound like the truth. Instead, this is one of my life verses, we will speak the truth in love, truth and love, love and truth together in perfect balance, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We speak the truth in love. The fourth thing we should do is do what God says. When Job wandered around in the wilderness a little while in his thinking, but when God did show up, And started telling Job who he was and how he was and what his character was. Job said, wait, 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 wait. You are right. I am wrong. I repent of that wrong thinking. Kingdom of this world thinking. He then did exactly what God said. And you might say, I am not sure what God's saying. He speaks to us every day if we'll only read his word, the Bible. He will speak. Absolutely, and he'll teach us every day. We have a sure word in the Scripture. There are results if we'll do these things. Three things that I believe happen that are illustrated in this, in this story in Job. First result is you'll be given favor by the Lord. Let's look at this. Oh, by the way, 
we usually think of favor as a, like a new Mercedes or a new house or something like that. Uh, we need to get on God's economy. God's economy doesn't teach that. God's economy teaches His favor is first and foremost something else. Nothing wrong with the new Mercedes. But when we think that's the way we're choosing the way God should show His favor and we're trying to play God, that's kingdom of this world thinking. So, let's look at Job 42.7, near the end of the book. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, uh, probably the oldest of those three, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, for you've not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. Stop right there. God just gave Job great favor. He said to those three guys, you haven't been accurate about me. But my servant Job, through all of the craziness, all the suffering, all the pain, he's spoken accurately about me every time. So take seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I'm not going to listen to you three knuckleheads, but if you'll humble yourself and go to Job, I'll listen to Job. That's favor. I will not treat, oh, my servant Job will pray for you. I'll accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve. He's using some of their words. For you've not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite did as the Lord commanded them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. That's favor. He accepted his prayer. Second result. You'll be given a ministry to the Lord. Job had a ministry to the Lord. He says, my servant Job will pray for you. I'll accept his prayer on your behalf. And at the very end of that, he says, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. He served as a priest, as an intercessor, and God designed it that Job, on their behalf, would minister to the Lord, and the Lord would accept that. God gets to choose what he does. And he's always just, he's always fair, he's always right, he's always holy. He, he'll give us a ministry to the Lord. But get this, he went beyond that for Job, and I believe he will do the same kind of thing for us. He, he, you'll be given a ministry for the Lord, looking forward to the future. Look at verse, uh, chapter 42, verse 16. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. Notice, his ministry, the Lord gave him to do on his behalf, was four more generations of those who would love and serve the Lord. What a great legacy. What a great ministry that the Lord gave him. And all of these things happened because he listened to God, not negative people. Let me give you a quick illustration. I've never suffered anything like Job, but I have encountered negative people. Over 20 years ago, I was in a church in another state, and there was a nasty power struggle, and there was a group of men in the church who were attempting to change the organization of the church such that they would have the ability and the power to fire the pastor because they were in a head-to-head -head battle with the pastor, oh, by the way, who had hired me and who happened to be a good friend of mine. So maybe some of this was because I thought, well, I'm in danger too here. I don't know for sure all of it. But they were super negative, nasty negative. And I realized I hated these guys. 
we were in a meeting, a church meeting, and these men were speaking, uh, you know, one at a time taking their turns speaking, and I sat in the back. Names are going to be changed to protect the guilty, okay? But I would sit in the back, and I would think, you are such an idiot. What a fool. I wish God would strike you dead right here. I would dance in the aisles if God did something to you right now. And I was feeling pretty justified in thinking that. And God said to me, names are changed, remember. What do you think I want to do in Jim's life? Do you think I love Bill any less than I love you? And what about Tim? He has said things about your friend, the senior pastor, but you've said these things about them. I was deeply convicted. You know what I realized I was doing? I was thinking like the kingdom of the world. I was not thinking in the kingdom of God. He broke my heart. I repented of that, and I asked God to forgive me and I ask God to give me a love for those men. I'll never know how he did it. He did. I, to this day, can't explain it or hardly believe it, but he, gave, he broke my heart for those men that he wanted to do something in their lives. They fired the pastor. I was stuck in that nasty mess for several more months. And God did a similar thing to what we saw him do for Job. He gave me a ministry to him to pray on behalf of those men and he gave me a ministry to those men I was able to love them pray for them pray with them and then he picked me up from there and he gave me a ministry for the future he moved me from that place to Denver Colorado in 1994 what a great ministry he gave me just delivering me out of the nasty mess because I took notice that I was operating in the kingdom of the world, not the kingdom of God. Listen, he will do that kind of thing for every one of us. One last verse, just the last half of Hebrews 13, 5. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I want you just to focus on that verse that's on the screens. I want to pray for all of us while you Focus on that and ask God to put that, brand that on your heart that you never forget that, no matter how negative the world around you may get. Lord Jesus, we know that we can trust you. And I pray for every one of us that we would choose kingdom of God thinking, that we would refuse to allow negative people to draw us away from your kingdom and to get us in the muck and the dirt and the junk of the kingdom of the world. Oh God, help us today, every one of us, beginning with me, to step back over into your kingdom in our thinking and our speaking and our acting. And help us to refuse also to become those negative kingdom of this world people. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you may be thinking, this week I'm going to read some of that stuff in the New Testament about kingdom of God. I need, I need to know more about that. Some of you may be thinking, 
who I really could use someone who would pray for me and with me about this. Two or three things you can do about that. There's a QR scan code on the back of the seats. You can scan that with your smartphone, fill out a connect card and say, I need someone to pray with me about something. Or I would need to talk with a pastor and someone will contact you. You can pick up between these two doors going out of the worship center. Uh, In the foyer of the church here, there are some connect cards, physical hard copies that you can fill out and drop in the boxes, the same boxes where offerings can be dropped in the worship center, theater, family room, the hall. Uh, If you're online, you can click on the prayer button and someone will respond to you. We've been closing our services with a blessing from Scripture. Let me this week close our service with a blessing for you and for me that's based on the Scripture principles we've just engaged with today. This week, may you choose to resist the influence of negative people in your life, the influence on your spiritual well-being and your emotional well-being. May you resist that this week. This week, may you choose to not become a negative person. This week, may you choose to bless others around you with the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, may you choose to allow the Holy Spirit to guide your desires, your thoughts, your actions, your words, so you can be the kingdom of God person He desires for you to be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you.